0: Welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 251. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, happy to be joined by a first-timer to the podcast, Christian Woodmansey. How's it going, Christian?
1: What's up, yeah, everything is good. I uh, really appreciate you having me. I uh, apologize I couldn't get on sooner, um, but uh, super excited. Uh, really looking forward to our conversation and uh, seeing how everybody likes it. But uh, I appreciate you having me on. Super happy. Thank you so much.
0: I am super happy to have you here as well. Maybe as good a place as any to start. If people aren't familiar with you, why don't we do a quick introduction?
1: My name is Christian Wibbensee. I dabble in Jiu Jitsu. Um, I don't compete anymore, kind of retired from that aspect. I have my own academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's called Logic. I also have an affiliation of I think about 22 or 23 academies that are underneath me all over the world. I got my black belt from Andre Galvao. I used to compete a lot, but I don't compete anymore. I find MMA as well. Really into conceptual understanding in terms of teaching as well as learning. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. So I love jiu-jitsu. That's my full-time job. I've never done anything other than teaching jiu-jitsu and competing. And uh, and now we're here in the future and I'm uh, 35 years old, running my own academy
0: full-time with hundred students. Nice, man. Well, hey, if you're interested in the conceptual end of things, you've definitely come to the right place. I told our community that you were going to be coming by, and I asked them, what should we talk to Christian about? And the one thing that came up that people specifically wanted me to dig into with you is uh, your ladder system. Now, you and I haven't talked about this that much in advance, which is good. I always like to go into these things cold because it helps me ask questions that I think the audience is going to appreciate. But my understanding is that this is a a concept system that you use to help simplify guard passing, correct?
1: That is correct, yeah. I mean, you could, theoretically speaking, like reverse engineer and use it to talk about strong concepts as well as connecting things to like playing guard and like understanding like the ability to sweep someone. But the ladder system is probably most efficiently connected to passing and being on top and obviously using the ladder for the
0: person on bottom. Got it. So let's dig into it a bit. Um, What exactly is the ladder system? And How did it come about? How did you define it when you started to realize that this is actually a pattern that you're seeing?
1: So, I mean, I've been training for a decent amount of time. I expressed to people that I'm, I'm actually not naturally gifted at jujitsu. I have like a specific focal point of like trying to really understand something and simplify things. I consider myself more of an exceptional problem solver. So I'm really big into simplifying things and understanding algorithms more than I am about anything else. So Considering the fact that obviously how much I teach in terms of at my academy and then traveling for seminars, I often get a lot of people, of all different styles. So sizes, belt ranks, whatever it may be. So for me, it's important to deliver information that hits the entire room, which is one, why I stay conceptual. And two, I try to simplify things and concepts into that. So the ladder system specifically is basically an easier way for people to understand that if you were to follow a step by step process, you create the highest percentage probability of basically being successful at a pass. Now, if you were to skip a step in the ladder, it's not that it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's just going to lower the percentage. So, a good example of this, we'll probably first should say that the ladder goes feet knees, hips, some type of shoulder control, and then head control, right? So if you were to visualize someone, you know, looking down on an open guard with no grips and they control the feet, then they control the knee line, go to knee cut, control the hip, go to underhook, pick up the elbow, and then go cross face. It's a very technical step-by-step type of pass. If we were to simply be in that open guard looking, we just try to do a front flip over the person and then try to stabilize in some type of north-south or side control, the percentage is way lower because we skipped all the steps, right? So again, there's nothing wrong with skipping steps in the ladder, but it just changes the percentage. So often when I see lower belts, white or blue belts, you know, um, they will be in a knee-cut position. They don't have an underhook. They don't really have the shoulders controlled. They don't have the hips controlled. The person puts a knee shield across. So now they're basically at the knees, reaching for the head They've skipped two steps. So you can actually see the person on bottom now use their shoulders and their knee to control the hip line to not only stop them from passing, but then to be able to escape and get back to guard once they try anyway. So for me, that just makes it really simple and you can connect to a lot of different styles. It doesn't matter if you're doing inside passing or outside passing, but It kind of stays consistent regardless.
0: Yeah, the thing I like about what you're saying there is you're acknowledging that there's different ways to do things and that a lot of these systems, they're not necessarily hard and fast rules. A problem that a lot of instructors seem to have, or at least the way they're interpreted, is they will put their students under the impression that there's only one right way to do things. And every system has strengths and weaknesses. There's no system in jujitsu that is going to work 100% the same all the time. Because if there were, everyone would just do that. There would be no reason to do anything else. And I agree with you completely on this idea of climbing the ladder. You basically start with what your opponent puts in front of you, which is usually going to be their feet. And then you start peeling back the layers of guard. And the idea is you're trying to pass to a dominant position, get some sort of chest-to-chest control or other topside body control to hold them there. And skipping steps while possible is often not a good idea but again i think it's good that you're bringing up that hey it can be done i mean there are people out there who will very successfully just cartwheel or backflip over someone's guard but you're absolutely right the more you do that the more confident you have to be in your ability to do that because those are just by definition they're lower percentage techniques because you don't have that control now it can be done i have certainly had it done to me it sucks when it's done to you when someone just cartwheels right over your guard but that said For the vast majority of people out there in the vast majority of situations – following the steps is critical. If you miss one of those steps, you're probably not going to complete the guard pass most of the time. Oh, 100%. percent can agree more. And I think
1: that the most important aspect is that when in fact skipping steps in the ladder or when attempting to hit every step and then losing one, whatever the terminology will be there, is that if you identify the clarity of the ladder, it's really easy to problem solve, reverse engineer, and then see what mistakes you made and how to adjust it, right? So, Good example, you see like Nikki Rod where he does like a a jumping Kimura, right? So like there's nothing wrong with that, right? But then you see his placement and positioning afterwards. Where are his control points? Where is he putting his head? Where's he putting his butt? What is he controlling on their body? Right. So if you want to attempt to stabilize in the next position, whatever that may be, you gotta understand those control points as well. Right. So for me, it's the same way. Like I have a very specific style. I don't force any of my students. I also know that I'm a different size than them with different goals. So the only way we can kind of make sure that everybody meets together is just kind of keeping that concept in that area, right? And I've got dudes that are just bulldozers, will try and cartwheel pass. And I've got guys that are very technical, one, two, three, four, five, the way up, right? So as long as we use that aspect, it's really easy to see, teach the white belt or blue belt, like, hey, well, I had the underhook, I grabbed the elbow, I try to go to side control, but now they pummeled in their top arm, they framed, right? So I no longer have shoulder control. And from that, then uh, they hip escape because I lost the hip line and then they use their leg to get back in. So you can literally see what steps are being checked and what steps of the ladder are being unchecked. And then you can really problem solve and say, okay, well, instead of going an underhook, why don't we go hip check? So now if we lose the shoulder control, we still have a hip and we can spin to the back or something. And then you start to create more of a style of passing.
0: One of the most common problems that I see with a lot of junior belts is they get so enthusiastic about the possibility of a pass that they skip steps. When they see a pathway to get that cross face on someone's head, they forget everything else and they just really want that cross face. A good example of this would be if you're stuck in someone's knee shield guard. I've seen a lot of more junior people who they will be stuck there. They have that shin right across their belly. They can't move forward, but they see the person's head. And so they're trying to reach and reach and reach and get that underhook, but they're skipping steps, right? They haven't cleared the knee. They haven't secured the hip. And not only is it going to be hard to pass a guard if you skip the steps, but a lesson that I learned, which was very painful to learn, is if you try to skip steps, you make it easy for your opponent to do terrible things to you. So in that example, if you are in someone's knee shield and you try to just ignore the fact that their knee is in your gut, you don't clear that. If you lean forward on top of them, you gotta start worrying now about elevations, leg entanglements, dog fights, all sorts of terrible stuff. So one of the most common ways that I think beginners screw up their guard pass and wind up getting swept or submitted is they skip steps, not realizing that that actually plays into their opponent's game. I agree a hundred percent. That kind of like
1: counter connects to like a couple of different concepts too. So I couldn't agree more, you know, and for me in terms of my internal thought process, in terms of like when I, to a degree, like force on my white belts is that often at times, if we learn, teach, whatever the terminology would be, we learn this pass, right? It, people don't understand it from a foundational positioning, right? So, oh, hey, I'm supposed to grab this guy's cross face and post a guy grab this underhook. And it's like, well, yeah, but you can't have it because you're not controlling the hip line, right? So, I think what's really important, especially for like you're saying, for the junior belts, is to identify the value in controlling the position, right? And because we have quote unquote clarity with the latter, it makes it more easily to stay disciplined. In the sense of, well, I know I shouldn't move forward and attempt to jump the step of the ladder because if I do, it's more problematic that bad things are going to happen to me. I'm going to get tilted. I'm going to get swept. I'm going to get put in a triangle. I'm going to get pulled in a closed guard, right? So for me, it's really simple in keeping people kind of like on a fence and say, hey, don't even think about trying to pass here, right? So for my white belts, I usually don't teach any techniques whatsoever. I don't teach any passes, sweeps. I just teach the position control. And I'll tell them, like, hey, let's just, check every step in the ladder here, right? And if once you do, if you do, which would be be Ruben and cursed, but like, that'd be fucking amazing that then your job is to try and maintain that type of control, right? So if we can dictate the position, the grips and the angle, we have tempo, I then say, you now have my permission to attempt to have offense success and progress, which would be then passing. But we need to put in hundreds of reps and data collection with clarity and understanding checking those boxes before we're even ready to pass. Because if you pass someone's guard anyway, then more than likely it's not because you're good. It's because they're bad and they're making mistakes. And that's going to carry into your higher belt. It's just not going to work.
0: A thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about guard passing, especially until they are... Until they get, you know, once you get to brown or black belt, I think people now have this nuance, but before that, people look at guard passing, they look at good guard passers, and they think that it's a game of pure aggression, and that it's all about blitzing the person and just applying endless pressure. But something that you often don't see just by watching someone else do this is that you only want to apply that forward pressure once you started to clear off those layers. Um, Good guard passing is actually not a super aggressive game. It's actually a very conservative game, at least at the beginning. It's more about not making a mistake, right? You want to make sure that you don't do anything that's going to compromise your position. You don't want to give them any good grips that they can exploit. And only once you start clearing those layers then do you start going totally aggressive and trying to, to blitz them. The mistake many people make is they think, well, if I'm just really fast and aggressive, then I'm going to be able to get past people's guards. But against a good person who has their composure, you're just going to wind up creating openings that they can exploit. So I think that the takeaway here is that good guard passing is actually not that aggressive it's very conservative. Um, And you tell me if you disagree with this. Something that Rob Bernanke said when he was on the podcast a while ago, we were talking about his competition at black belt level. And one of the things he said is, look, if I am standing in someone's guard or kneeling in their guard, I am not going to do anything until I'm absolutely sure. Look, I've got the grips that I want. I know I can clear the layers. I know I can advance. If he doesn't have that, He's just going to back out and reset, and he's not going to go through that power passing sequence until he knows, okay, I am actually able to climb this ladder in the right sequence. Uh, And that sounds very similar to what you're saying here is playing it conservatively, not making mistakes, and only going forward when you can see that ladder sequence being achievable.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the goal, right? I think that is that in terms of like a, a zenith, like a, a point of like, hey, this is the kind of clarity you want to get to and understanding it, be able to apply it is huge, which is why you, like you were saying too, like it probably doesn't come to fruition until like our higher belts, like brown or black, right? But yet for me, even as a black belt or me competing at a highest stage, wherever it may be, I think it just depends on the context of what you're trying to achieve, right? So for my guy that's 45 year old, he's a hobbyist, he trains three times a week. He's probably not too worried about what the meta uh, complex of, of passing a black belt world-class guard is, right? But the information conceptually is still the same, right? So we can continue to say like, hey, like my number one priority on top is not the person established guard on the bottom. That is to some degree, you know, neutralizing one of their limbs, neutralizing their collar grip, whether you break it or you're, you're straightening the arm or hey, I want to like remove this guy's deli helo hook, right? So for me, again, I keep it really simple. like robotic. So I say, okay, they have an established guard. Their guard is a value of like in terms of what they can do. It's at like 40%. I've checked off these boxes in terms of the ladder, dictated the next position, which means now I have tempo. And now I feel confident that I will move forward and progress with my pass sequence. If I don't have any of that information beforehand, I 100% will entirely focus on a defensive type of mindset, which is, don't get tilted. We're not getting swept. We're backing up. We're focusing on neutralizing this guard because if I try to pass while he's, that's something that's very blue belt-ish. This guy's trying to sweep me while I'm trying to pass. And then they're just kind of bulldozing each other. Like that for me is as a smaller person is very easy to identify. And I just, I just stay away from the bull. And most of the time their mistakes will allow me to pass, but I still don't even do that. I only focus on passing when I had created 100%, right? So that's just kind of the discipline level that you want to do. And then obviously, In terms of application, it's going to depend on your context, right? So in the training room, at what level in the training room are you talking about with white, blue, purple, brown, or black belts? Are you competing? Then at what level, blah, blah, blah. But for me, I've never had success, pans, worlds, purple, brown, black at any shape, way, or form. I never had any success unless I've had tempo and I've had that kind of clarity, whether you're playing guard, sweeping, or submitting. So unless I have 100% exactly what I want. I don't go forward because then I can focus on not losing while attempting to win. And if I fight someone better than me, it's a little bit more of an understanding of, of discipline and commitment rather than just flipping a coin and hoping it lands on heads
0: and then trying anyway. Now let's talk about tempo for a bit here. We've discussed the importance of tempo and dictating the pace on the podcast many times. I mean, if you are the one who is controlling where the fight goes and forcing your opponent into a reactive mode, where everything they're doing is being done not because they want to do it, but because they must respond to what you're doing, odds are, unless they are an incredible counter player or unless you make some big mistakes— you're going to win, right? It's very, very hard to get off the game you want to get off if you're always in reactive mode. So a big part of jujitsu is creating these scenarios, or really any competitive endeavor, actually, even business. The big part of any competitive endeavor is creating scenarios where you force people to react to what you're doing, and you get to do what you want, but they don't get to do what they want because they're busy responding to you. Now, The problem here, though, is that that's easier said than done. When you are sparring with someone who's experienced, if I want to sweep someone from my guard, I have to really work for it. I have to make a sweep. I have to create openings and get a sweep. However, against a more junior person... Honestly, when I get sweeps, it's usually because they swept themselves, right? It's not because I did some like A plus big brain move to sweep them. It's because they tried to run past my guard. They missed the steps of the ladder and I wound up just elevating them and, and dumping them or something like that. So maybe talk to me a little bit about the relationship here between managing tempo and the ladder? Like, how do you jive that? If the ladder is really about taking your time and doing things in sequence, how does that line up with this idea of tempo where you're always trying to be the pro player who's making things happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, so for me and... Sometimes my verbiage is like it's a bit outdated because now I'm out of the modern times of like meta training and jujitsu, whatever it may be. But like there's a difference between tempo and pace, right? So pace is basically dictating the speed at which things go, right? So I can slow it down or go fast. Now that doesn't always mean that I have tempo when I do that, right? So for me, my clarification currently, tempo is dictating the position that we're both in, dictating the grips that we have. And so if I am going against a guard and you can pick any guard you want, right? And you're playing that guard on me and you've established that guard, I know, cool, I can't just pass where I'm currently at because I know that I don't I haven't dictated anything. I don't have tempo. My mind shifts and I immediately say, Well, we need to neutralize this guard and I will neutralize that guard specifically to the steps in the ladder. So if you're playing Delhiba with a cross collar and heel or cross collar and pants, whatever it may be, I think, okay, kill the Delhiba hook neutralize this guy grabbing my collar. I'll use that to then shift to, you can pick any pass style you want. We'll pick knee cut. I'll then use that neutralization to get to the knee cut. So now I've dictated the position. I've dictated the grips and I've dictated the angle. From there, then I would give myself a green light depending on where my grips are, dictate the type of pass that I do. So if I were to have my one hand on the collar, my one hand on the knee, when I get to that knee cut position, I would say, oh, okay, I can go leg drag. I can go knee cut or I can go top spin, and then I would then apply that technique now that I've checked off those appropriate steps in the ladder because it doesn't require me to control the head and the cross face or anything else like that. Now, if that person is then reverse engineering that ladder and they are hip escaping, they're pummeling their leg, and I can't control that aspect of the ladder, then I know I don't have tempo and I go back to focusing on neutralizing the guard again, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. And in fact, I really like your definition of tempo here. I think this is the first time someone has enunciated to me a definition that's quite that clear. So I think I might steal it from you if that's okay. (laughs) Um, I would love to know maybe just one more time, could you just reproduce that to really drive that home? What did you say were those three elements of tempo that you considered?
1: Yeah, so for me, tempo is that I dictate, personally, I'm the one dictating the position that we're in. I've created the position that we're in. I have chosen the grips in that position that we're in and I've dictated the angles that we're in in that position. If I have all three of those things, I have tempo. I have the ability to uh, transition. I have the ability to, to continue to dictate, right? Now, also then, because I obviously have tempo, I probably have the most influence on the ability to set the pace, right? So like if you were to see me on top, in someone's Delaheba, I break all the grips, I get to the outside, and I still have my hands engaged on the shin. You'll see me probably sprint hundred miles an hour doing footwork and going side to side with my passing. And the person on the bottom now is just either going to die immediately and they're gonna get leg dragged or they're gonna get Toriando passed, or they're gonna be in a state of successfully framing, hip escaping, you know, deflecting me, and they're just pure deep they can't do anything, right? And then I'm just gonna just count bounce off that because I had tempo and I have set the pace. When you put those things together, usually you have a whirlwind of of just doing whatever you want, right? And that's when like things can look methodical, or you see a lot of like viral jujitsu, where you see people doing beautiful looking things
0: because they dictated both of those. That's brilliant. So I misunderstood. Then you're saying that pace, the actual speed of the fight, is not even an element of tempo. It's something that you can then create if you have tempo that's really clever so that actually explains a lot too because i think anyone like myself who plays that methodical old bastard style of jiu-jitsu we've all felt this where you're barely moving but you definitely have the tempo right because you have all of those things you talked about you're controlling the position you're controlling the grips you're controlling the angle you don't have to be moving very fast at all if you've got those things because you are controlling the tempo of the fight and then from there should you choose to you can increase the pace. You can run a million miles an hour, but for me, that's not my style, right? I mean, I, hell, I get gassed out just doing this podcast. There's no way I'm going to blitz past someone's guard. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's a good example, right? So I think
1: that uh, how would I put this, right? So when I communicate with people, when they have tempo, this is the most important time of truly enforcing your characteristics, right? So me being five foot two, 120 pounds, my characteristics are going to be speed and controlling distance, right? Dictating distance, right? So for example, you know, if I were to be training with a 190 pound black belt, regardless of how good or bad he is, I don't want to be chest to chest with that guy with an underhook, right? Because he's so big, that characteristic of me being chest to chest is more for him than for me, right? Now, if I was training with someone my size, well, yeah, I could show my strength that chest to chest control position, right? So if I can't control the distance and get in and out when I want to, that would go against my characteristic of my game. So when I have tempo, that's when I truly dial up my characteristics. So I will go a hundred miles an hour and I'll I'll do things that are like usually outside passing. You'll see a lot of a lot of movement a lot of methodical looking stuff because it falls right into the context of my character. But that same thing goes where you see a dude where he's just now he's power knee cuts, huge cross face. The guy's dead in side control. He can't do anything. He's about to get submitted whenever the guy on top is bored and feels like doing it, right? So there's no right or wrong there in that aspect. It's the true value of then amplifying that character. So you can be in closed guard with an overhook with a a cross collar grip and hold his dude's posture down. And you can be like an anaconda and that guy can't go anywhere because you have the tempo and you're dictating the pace. It's going to be slow, right? You can do anything in terms of your character, right? So that's kind of how I I'm able to have students who were 240 pounds, 120 pounds, guy or girl. And we stay in that concept there, I say, like, cool, this is where you inject your own spot and just do whatever the fuck you want to do.
0: I like that a lot. I mean, one of the things that people often push back when you talk about conceptual jiu-jitsu or, you know, ecological dynamics are getting more popular in jiu-jitsu. You hear people like Greg Sauter is talking a lot about the ecological approach in jiu-jitsu. And the big thing that you always hear in these approaches is, We're moving away from telling you exactly what to do and spelling it out for you and giving you all of the techniques and more we're giving you some ideas and some boundaries so that you can play around with those and figure out for yourself what works for you. And the thing I like about this ladder system is it's going to accommodate pretty much anyone's style of guard passing. He brought up a good example about small person jujitsu. We're actually launching a new audio course about small person strategy with Josh Wentworth out of uh, Apex Conyers. And he brought up the exact example you did, which is, look, common wisdom, if you have side control on someone, is to go chest to chest and go for that far side underhook and the near side crossface. And yeah, that's going to be beautiful on people your own size. But if you're in there giving up a hundred pounds, you do that. And the guy is just going to Hercules you and roll you over. Right. And I mean, look, I'm sorry, but no matter how good your technique is, force and gravity are still force and gravity. And if the person can get grips on you, like there is that point where the size differential is so big that doing things properly doesn't really matter anymore (laughs) because if you're chest to chest on top of that person and they possess the size and strength, to just grab you and roll you. That's always going to be a valid concern. The nice thing about this framework is you're not telling people, put one hand here, put your arm here, because that's not always going to apply in every situation. What you're telling people is climb the ladder, right? Go past the feet, go past the knees, go past the hips, go past the chest, go to the head. How you do that is a personal thing. And that gives, that's where people have that ability now to inject the art into jujitsu and kind of come up with their own way to express themselves.
1: No, hundred percent. I think that's what jujitsu is, right? Which is saying all these being who you are on the mat, being able to do whatever you want to, you know, and I think that it's important. Like I try to be really, really, really careful about like when I make an absolute statement, right? So like, you'll never hear me say something along the lines of like, this is the best guards. It's like, Hey, I don't have the kind of accolades to make that kind of absolute decision, right? To make that kind of statement and feel confident behind it. But I will make an absolute statement say, Hey, if you're literally exemplifying to me, that when you do this it has an 80% percentage success rate value but when you do this it's 90 we can say that the 90% one is better so why if you know better not do that i just kind of stay in that lane right so and then i don't have to worry about the the specifics of techniques or the specifics and i can just say like hey like let's just focus on this aspect and for me it becomes really really simple being able to like answer questions and allow people to feel their individuality because Otherwise, I'd just be creating clones because that's all I technically have the value in creating in terms of like the data that I have. I mean, and obviously I've had the experience and success of coaching other people and winning at a high level too, but but in terms of personal data, I can only really tell you how to be a five foot two, 120 pound dude. I can't tell you how to be 240, right? I can conceptually just lead you to a path. For you to be able to apply your character, that's all.
0: Well, maybe let's give people some examples that they can chew on here. I mean, if I am on the bottom and you're on top, and we're just engaging into guard, so we're just kind of setting our grips. You mentioned Delahiva guard earlier. Let's say that I want to go for that. So, you know, I've got some sort of collar sleeve thing going on. I get my Delahiva hook. You on the top now want to start climbing the ladder. What does without getting too specific into things that are hard to visualize? What's that going to look like for you on top? Right, I've got my Delahiva hook in. I feel strong. You now need to start climbing rung by rung, starting with my feet. How's that going to look? And what does your decision making process look like?
1: I know right away that I don't have tempo because you've established a position. My mind shifts 100% to defense and neutralization as a black belt with the characteristics that I have in terms of the style of jujitsu. I won't break grips like a collar grip. I won't break a sleeve grip. I'll instead neutralize those grips while you still maintain them. In my experience, like 97% of even black belts, I'm not talking like competitive, I'm talking like all the black belts, if you just neutralize something rather than breaking it, they're going to keep holding it and then you can use it against them later, which is what I prefer to do. So regardless of what you what grips you have with your hands, I wouldn't break them. So if you had a sleeve grip, I would just anchor my hand down wherever the sleeve grip is. If you had the collar grip, I would just keep your arm straight, right? So I would then, since we're in De La Riva, identify that I would use my hands to neutralize both of your legs, your feet and your knees, while using that to get my shoulders and hips in the same plane, which neutralizes your collar grip. And then from there, if you had a sleeve, I would yeah, I would go leg drag or I would go to knee on belly and I'd go to the side of obviously the collar and I arm bar if you want to keep holding one of the grips, whatever it may be. And if you had my foot, then I can do like kind of whatever pass I want. So for me that when I'm there, I just, I have the quick data in pretty much like a lot of the guards, if not everyone that I've experienced and how to more efficiently neutralize those positions without having to take seven or eight steps to neutralize them. I kind of can do everything all at once, shift to where I want to go, and then I know I have tempo immediately, and then I'll
0: pass. Absolutely. I like how you identified that if you're knee-deep, literally knee-deep, in someone's Delahiva guard, it's not time to start climbing the ladder, right? You kind of have to get yourself out of that situation first. It is very hard to execute a, a successful passing sequence if you're already tied up in someone's guard. I've always said, and this is something I literally just stole from my old instructor, there's three phases to guard passing, right? You disentangle, you control, you pass. If you've already let the person... Tie you up in a guard, it's not even time to start thinking about passing yet. You've got to start disentangling. And again, this is where we get into those issues the more junior people encounter where they want to know why is it that you were able to sweep me while I'm passing? And the answer is usually because you tried to pass when I had a fully established guard on you. That was not the right time. You need to disentangle right? And there's a few different ways to do that. I agree with you completely. I am not a fan of grip breaking. Usually I find that just does more damage to your own fingers than it does to anything else. And I always have better luck just swimming my hands to the inside or anchoring onto the pants or the lapel or something. You disentangle, you control, and then you start thinking about the pass. If you are already getting dominated from someone else's guard, that is not the time to start thinking about a pass. That's the time to start thinking about stabilizing.
1: Yeah, I think hobbyist self-defense and competitive like the three possible mindsets on the mat of training i think that's the best approach that would be what i would communicate so if i was man woman big small experience you're not experienced i would literally use that context for everything and i would say this is literally conceptually because of who's got tempo and who doesn't this is not the place to attempt to be offensive or make forward progress this is to use reverse engineering to back up to stop them from having those capabilities and then creating new position to then move forward if that's the goal, right? And as a competitor or as a coach for competitors, I can say if you're fighting someone that's better than you, which more than likely is usually the case, unless you're, you know, you already know going to tournament your top dog. The only way you're going to beat someone better than you is by being more intelligent and understanding the strategy in that aspect. So if you attempt to even consider passing this guy's guard while he has tempo you probably are going to lose your first or second fight naturally going to that tournament anyway, because that's your thought process. Now, if you know right away that this guy's got guard, he's got tempo, and my only priority is to neutralize this guard. And if I can do that, check that box, then keep it neutralized. You then have the green light to attempt to see the opportunities in passing. And you may even win by an advantage. Or if you get the opportunity, this guy makes a mistake, which he probably won't because he's elite level duties has tempo or he just lost it, He's going to know how you want to get it back. You have a chance at winning. And that's why to a degree, you see a lot of boring jujitsu fights. Because It's like, well, I don't have tempo. I'm not going to move forward. Well, this guy does have tempo. So don't move forward type of thing, you know? So again, any aspects of context of perhaps what the goal is, where you're coming from, it never makes sense to me to move forward You don't have progress. You don't have tempo. That's like me saying my only opportunity to score a touchdown in football is not playing offense, it's trying to intercept the ball on defense and bring it back for a pick six. It makes no sense whatsoever. You literally have the ability to play offense. Why not just understand getting to that point first?
0: Something that a lot of wrestlers talk about is the importance of taking the first point on the board, not giving up an advantage. The guard is a perfect example of that. When you're still in someone's guard, the fight can really go anywhere. The tipping point has not been achieved yet, but as soon as one person gets that sweep and then they wind up on top the downward spiral really begins. And it's very, very hard to come back from that. That's why it's so important to be conservative when you're playing guard, because at that point in time, you make a mistake and it could cost you the whole fight and you may never be able to recover. I mean, if you're already past my guard and you're mounted on me, like I got a little bit more wiggle room because I'm already down so much, it might make sense for me to start taking some risks. But at the beginning, when the scoreboard is 0 0 and I'm in your guard, me trying to force a guard pass is not intelligent because the last thing I want is to be down two points, have you on top of me and we've still got like five minutes left on the clock and now I have to fight just to get back to a scoring position right? And then I can start talking about clawing my way back up. That's not where you want to be. So playing that initial guard game and making sure that you don't make any stupid mistakes at that point is one of the most important things that a lot of people need to think about when they're talking about how a fight opens. Of
1: course, you know, and again, it's like, hey, would you rather see it from that perspective and understand how important that is and understanding the value of being a man of percentage, right? Or saying like, oh, well now I got swept and I had a higher percentage success rate percentage wise in this position that I was zero, zero in. And now I have a lower percentage success rate. Now in this position, while it's two, zero, whatever the score is like, and listen, again, it's, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. I've seen people down by seven ish points or whatever it may be, and then come back and win. They're like, again, it's going to happen. That's more of an exception type of thing rather than the example, right? So most people, in my experience, right, they look at the exception and try to clarify it as an example rather than looking at the examples and understanding that's what it is, right? So when you look at these guys like Gordon, when you look at these guys that are like meta, like the top of their game, you know, very, very good guys, right? I'm not even a huge fan of Gordon in terms of a person, but he's absolutely stellar at jujitsu. This guy literally knows what he's going to do to what degree and when and how. Because he has tempo and he controls pace, right? But people are thinking like, "Oh, well, no, he's just doing this technique." No, that's coming. That's the last. That's the cherry on top of the entire thing that he built inside of that aspect, and it's really important to see that, right? But again, like, yeah, I mean, you can throw techniques out there at certain percentage points, and depending on how bad the person is that you're training, it's going to work or not. But most people, again, they're in average academies with average context with average goals, there's no right or wrong there. So I can't tell a guy, well, hey, you're looking at it as wrong, right? I wouldn't say that. I would say, well, yeah, I mean, if it's happy, if it makes you happy and it works for you, do it, man. If you're all for going for a 40 percentage possibility of something, go for it. I think it's not intelligent. If you're communicating to me, there's a higher percentage there and you're specifically not taking it. Then I'll say, hey, we both know this is not intelligent. And yes, yeah, sh- sure. Shoot your shit. Go for it. Right. But as a competitor or people that want to compete or people that have higher standard of those goals, we can literally just be like, this literally just doesn't
0: work. What are you doing? And then we can identify and move forward. Regardless of the type of person that you are, I think these kinds of approaches make sense because they're easy to keep in your head and process and make decisions really quickly. Like such a key part of jujitsu is making the right decision and making it fast. And the more you have to think to make that decision, the slower you're going to be. I mean, it's one thing, I guess, if you're a full-time competitor, you spend five hours a day studying jujitsu instructionals. If you're that person, then yeah, you can remember and memorize everything you want. But I mean, I'm the old hobbyist that you described, right? I'm lucky if I can train twice a week. Most of the time I'm in there with people who spend more time just studying jiu-jitsu than I spend actually training in the week. So they are going to be able to put a lot more stuff into their head. For me, I just don't have that much bandwidth in my mind for what I can do. So I have to keep things really simple. And things like this ladder approach are very helpful to me, right? I mean, if I am sparring with someone and I can tell that they want to launch into some crazy new age inverted entanglement that they just saw on YouTube last night, I've got no idea what they're doing. I don't know what the quote unquote correct responses. But I do know that again, if I follow these things like the ladder, if I can control their feet and then I can move up the chain, that kind of gives me an indication of what I've got to do. So if I see that person kind of spinning towards me and I know they're going into some sort of leg entanglement, I have an idea of what to do. I know which parts of their body to control. I know this is not the time to try to just initiate a pass. I have to back up, stabilize, get control of their feet, get control of their legs, and then move up the chain. And it doesn't matter how casual you are. That's a simple enough concept that anyone can understand and apply it. And I just, I love this idea of simplifying jujitsu rather than making it more complicated. I think there's no shortage of inf- of information out there of people who are making jujitsu more complicated I think making it simple, though, is where you're going to reach that 99% of your audience that actually will benefit from this. Only people who do this pro are going to have the time to go and do all of that studying and get go through the reads and memorize everything.
1: I couldn't agree more. And again, like um, just to revalidate what you're saying, like the people that truly benefit the most from whether it is a new age technique, whether it's something that's super new, unique, whatever it may be, it comes from a standpoint of... Checking certain boxes, right? And the tough thing is, is that especially with social media, there's just such a huge open world of information, right? And it's like at the end of the day, you can't really control that aspect or hey, do whatever it may be. But like you have to understand the application process of like the value in it. Right. And that's why there's so many levels of black belt, right? And there's so many levels of each rank underneath it too. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I could post a technique that I don't believe in and show the you of me doing it once. And then someone's like, oh, look, this technique is awesome. I'll do it. And I'll be like, hey, I don't even believe in the technique. I think it's stupid, right? Here's what's more valuable. And one is way more challenging in terms of the depth of discipline required to apply that someone will look at it and be like, well, no, it's just, I'll just still totally just try the technique. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Like not everybody that shows at the, at the jiu-jitsu gym, academy or club, whatever it may be, wants to dive that deeply into jujitsu. Some people do, right? But like, I literally have some students that show up and they're like, hey, man, I just worked a, a 17-hour shift to the hospital. I experienced a bunch of crazy stuff. I am here purely to not have any goals. That's my goal. I'm not here to have a fight or a competition, whatever it may be. I'm not here to break my mind and learn. I just truly want to be present on the mat and just enjoy myself. And I say, appreciate your clarity. Let's go after it, right? So, There's nothing wrong with having different goals than that, having that approach. I just make sure that the people that communicate that one level up and say, hey, I do want to have that kind of clarity. What makes this more simple? Then we literally know what path we're on and we just keep them on it and that's it.
0: Absolutely. And the nice thing about these frameworks too, and you talked about this earlier, is you can do them in reverse, right? You've outlined a very simple sequence of steps for passing the guard. Well, if you're the person on the bottom you just invert that, right? If Instead of worrying about, okay, control their feet, then their knees, then their hips, then their chest, then their head. You're just doing that backwards, right? And you want to block your head. You want to block access to your chest. Then you want to start getting or want to block control of your hips. Then you get your knees and your feet back in. That's how a regard works, right? If you are on the bottom and you need to regard, that's exactly what you're going to do. So it's a simple enough concept that you can apply it both ways, whether you're the aggressor or the defender. Hundred percent,
1: yeah. I mean, if you look at the example of you're on bottom playing reverse teleheba, and I'm standing in your reverse teleheba, you know, and you've got your, you know, you got your right foot as your reverse teleheba hook, you got your left foot on my hip, you got your right hand on my heel, and you got your left hand posting. Right? I go, okay, well, I'm going to get this foot off my hip because it's controlling the distance. It's also ironically the first step in the ladder. Right? After that, I'm killing your reverse teleheba hook because that's control my knee line. That's your knee line. Then from there, I'm going to try and get to your hip. And from there, I'm going to try and underhook you or whatever the style is from there. And you're seeing me kill your first foot. So if you don't pummel that and put it back, you're going to get your next part of your guard broken down. And if you don't stop that one, you're pretty much fucked and you're about to get passed. So I mean, like if you keep trying to be offensive and play guard after I just ripped and removed three steps in the ladder, yeah, I mean, you're probably going to be put in a worse position and that's really hard. So it's the same exact concept. is precisely to what you're saying and validating that aspect. So I use the same exact perspective for top and bottom. At the first line of one of my defenses and my guard gets neutralized, not even broken, I immediately shift because now I don't have tempo anymore. I'm not thinking offensive and I'm worried about getting my first line of defense back. So if I was on bottom and they get that foot off, I'm looking to use the collar to stop them from moving forward. I'm using that ability now to pull my leg, get back to a position tilt you and now i have the position again dictated the angle and the grips and from there i would have my permission to sweep or submit or transition to a different guard so it's the same game being played both ways it's just obviously inverting it looking at it from a different perspective but it doesn't change anything at all so someone who adopts that kind of mindset will be will have a very strong base on top they'll be hard to sweep they'll be hard to submit someone has that understanding will have a great guard great guard retention uh, be hard to pass And if you have the ability to play both styles, then you're very well rounded, and you're using the same concept. Nothing will change.
0: And I think it also helps people who are in a dire position understand what they need to focus on first if they want to get out. Right. I mean, if we invert this around, instead of starting with the feet, you're starting with the head now. So if you've got me pinned in bottom side control and you've got chest to chest on me, you've got a cross face on me. The last thing I want to do is be trying to stick my legs out and catch your leg in regard, right? That's a mistake that a lot of people make, especially beginners, when they're in a bad position like bottom side control. They're getting smashed. They're trying to use their legs to kind of latch on and pull. That's not going to work. You have to deal with the head control first and then chest to chest. You then have to make sure that your hips are free enough that you can actually pull your legs back in. Then you get your shins and then your feet and then you're back to a full guard. And it's, that's literally just the ladder in reverse. Instead of climbing the ladder, you're descending the ladder. You're going down. But that can be a very helpful thing. So if you're getting stuck in bottom side control and the other person has control of your head, that should be an indicator right there that your priority is dealing with that before you worry about anything else.
1: No, 100%. You know, And again, usually the problem that takes place right, is that uh, the person on the bottom is thinking this way but then says, well, I have no other choice. I'm going to try and capture this guy's leg, right? And then for some reason, he does capture the guy's leg. Then that guy makes a mistake and he gets his guard back and he goes, oh, well, I don't need to work hard and be disciplined and follow the reverse engineering of the ladder anymore. It worked. And then I walk up to him and I go, hey, well, that's great. But like, that didn't work because you were good. It worked because he made a mistake. Now, if you were fighting yourself and you didn't make the mistake, would that have the same percentage? The answer would be no, right? Okay, cool. What well, would have a higher percentage would be the a- aspect of this, right? So I'm going to use my frames, free that control of my head, free that control of my shoulders. I'm then going to use that frame to bridge to hip escape. Now I freed the hip line and then from there I can get my foot, knee and everything back and just start over from scratch again, right? So, I mean, you can see the example anywhere, right? You can see it from guard, escaping, top, bottom, backwards, upside down. You can see from dominant position control, right? There's a ladder, in terms of engineering and steps of like, Hey, what are these areas of control on the body? And if I understand them in each position, jujitsu becomes incredibly simplified. And then it's way easier to build on top of that foundation.
0: I think you brought up a great example. There, specifically talking about inversion for a lot of people. The first time they see someone try to play an inverted guard on them, it breaks their brain because suddenly everything's upside down. Right. But You're right. From the latter perspective, the idea is the same. If homie is coming up on you and they're trying to invert, you start by controlling the feet. In fact, one of my favorite things to do against inversion players is just grab their feet and staple them to the floor so they're stuck in that upside down position, right? It's the exact same thing. I mean, if you think about things from the perspective of what technique do I do, the variability is endless and it's so complicated to know what the right tool is for the job but if you think of it in that, I got to control this person's feet first, that's easy to understand. Anyone can understand that.
1: Well, and again, I think it gives it a more simplified way of, of feeling comfortable and confident with knowing where you're at, right? So if you see this guy inverting go wherever, right? and be like, hey, if I can dictate this more and have more say in this, you know, then I can control the feet, you know, it doesn't get so deep, right? Now, if you didn't do that, And you end up being in a position like, man, I've never been in this guard before. That's a huge red flag, you know, right away that you definitely don't have tempo. You definitely shouldn't pass because you're in a position you've never been in before, right? So for me, it's all about avoidance. It's all about not letting the other person have success. It's about stopping that person from getting what they want. And once I accomplish those things, then I start focusing on myself and hey, well, what do I want to do? What do I want now? And then I'll do those things, right? So as a lower belt, like I would go like brown belt world's. I would literally know this guy's going to pull guard on me. I would purposely let him pull guard and establish just to rip his guard apart and not even pass and then literally neutralize everything, break it down because I knew it was his best guard. And if I could do that, I'd rip away his confidence, right? That's a little dangerous from the aspect of like, it's very egotistical. I wouldn't do that at black belt because if he picked a guard that I didn't know how to neutralize and it was very unique. You know, you see like things like worm guard or Delaware, all these weird guards, right? You may have accepted too much. And now you're in a bad position where you can't neutralize. So just like you're saying, like, hey, like, I don't know what this guy wants to do or how he's going to do it. So just kind of control these aspects, dictate a little bit more, see commonality, see comfort and knowing that I've been this new place before enough times when I know how to move forward and control. And that's what I'm going to do. That's where we should always be, right, is a level of comfort. Even if we don't know exactly where we're at, we feel comfortable being there because of the the understanding, the simplicity of what we put into our work foundation-wise. And only there, can we start to think about having success?
0: Let me ask a question here about what you're thinking about when you're passing someone's guard. So when you're in someone's guard, you've controlled the situation. You're about to begin the passing sequence. What's in your mind? Are you thinking, I am going to knee cut? And here's how I set that up. Or are you just thinking, I'm going to climb the ladder and whatever happens, happens?
1: So usually before, it would depend on a little bit of context, right? So like sometimes my context, it it will sometimes in the past, my context has been to compete, right? So I have a specific strategy understanding how I would pass before I even get out there, right? So it would be predetermined. That's a little bit different now as I'm not competing where I have more specific goals that are to the training room, right? But yeah, it would any shape, way, or form Any decision that I'm making has all been predetermined before I even start that round. So it doesn't matter if I'm going with Bill, Bob, Jamie, whoever, doesn't matter what belt rank they are. I already know what I'm going to do and how before we even start. And I'm able to do that just because I am conceptually staying in the, the areas of control that we've basically been discussing this entire time. So I don't know what guard that guy is going to try and play or what kind of guard that girl is going to try and play, but I know I'm still going to neutralize it. I know it's still going to have my hands in the same conceptual position no matter what. And then I'm going to pass the same way no matter what. So like as a data collector, I could take 16 different people with 16 different guards and pass them all the same exact way because of the data that I had in breaking those guards down or not letting them get established to a certain degree and then neutralize them all to a specific point and then doing one specific pass. So it's all predetermined. Me specifically, I'm a back taker. So I'm going to do a hip check, side control, and take the back, or I'm going to do a top spin, and take the back, and then I'm going to short choke or whatever it may be. So it's, it's all predetermined
0: before we even start. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I'm a hobbyist, right? I do this for fun, so I don't have any competitive game plan. But what I have found recently is instead of going in there and having it in my head, it's knee cut time. I'm going to do a knee cut, for example. When I'm in someone's guard, I'm just thinking, okay, first and foremost, I don't want these people's feet anywhere near me. I want to be controlling their feet And then I try to get in closer, get knee control. I try to lock their hips. And then what winds up happening, though, is I always seem to wind up going to the same two or three passes every single time. For me, it's always like stack pass over, under, or knee cut. Very rarely is it anything other than that. But what's interesting is it wasn't really my plan to go into that pass. My only plan was... I want to control their feet, then climb the ladder to the knees, then to the hips. But I find if I do that for whatever reason, and maybe this is just a personal preference thing or just ingrained experience, it always seems to wind up materializing into the same passing sequence, even though that wasn't really my intent. I don't know if that's a a common thing or if that's just me, but it's just an interesting thing I've found is that I'm less concerned about the technique I want to do. But yet I always still seem to wind up doing the same technique at the end of the day anyway. I think that you'll find
1: that more ironically than not, depending on the decisions of the details and how you neutralize the guard or how you're establishing a position, that there are more techniques uh, in terms of percentage-wise that are easily connected than others, right? So what you're naturally finding is that perhaps how you're controlling the feet, controlling the knee line, that you get to a certain point. We get to another thing called a funnel, right? where ironically, but not ironically, because you're creating, because you have tempo, you're getting to the same point. And at that same point, you have these same three high high percentage connection options of decisions of techniques that you can do. And you're able to connect to those very well, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. I actually think that that's, that's something that's very intelligent. I would say the missing piece is how you're consistently creating them in terms of like the the characteristic attributes of like, Having the clarity and like, hey, well, the reason why this over under is so smooth at this point is because here's my position and here's what I'm creating. Hey, this is how it's a knee cut. Hey, this is how it's a double under, right? So it's going to be with like your hand positions and your elbow position. And if you got one knee down or two knees down, whatever it may be, those things will happen, but there's still characteristic commonality in terms of what you're doing and what that other person is doing that lines up and that algorithm equals those three techniques. So it's definitely not ironic. You know, and at some point in time, it could be uh, the environment with how people are reacting. It could be with how often you train with those people. So usually a lot of those things are determining factors and they will adjust your percentages. But it, I still think it's spot on.
0: Yeah, you talked about funneling. That's uh, such an important idea in jujitsu. Tell me a little bit more about how you interpret that. Like when you talk about funneling into a position or into a, a specific scenario, what does funneling mean to you and why is it important? Funneling to me is, is crucial
1: because again, it's it's a validation of having tempo. And then I know that I, and again, this is all predetermined. So I know that if I check this box and this box, this box is going to be checked next, right? So I'm just playing the percentages there. But for me, a really, really strong funnel consists every place that we get to in the funnel is that I'm offering at a minimum of two incredibly high percentage, high quality threats to the person. And if they attempt to commit to uh, closing off one of those doors. So like example being like, Hey, I'm either going to choke you and you hand fight, or instead of hand fighting, you do something else to try and alleviate this pressure, right? And it depends on the specifics of the technique. But if you deliver those two threats, it's very easy to see the next step that you're going to. So for me personally, I'm basically saying like, Hey, you're either going to die immediately right now, or you can delay your death and die in the next step but I'm delivering those two threats, right? So if I were to use the example of passing in the ladder, right? And I had a collar grip, uh, hand is basically at the AC joint. My elbow is basically on the inside of the hip and I pass knee cut, but I rewind their hips. I'm not underhooking or cross-facing. What I've created now is the threat of the pass, right? But what's also there is the opportunity to push that, keep pushing them to 90 degrees and taking their back most people are either going to do one of three things. They either don't do anything at all. They either go in the opposite direction or they go in the direction that they're going in, right? So if they keep going the direction they're going in, I take their back. If they do nothing at all, I can take their back. And if they go the opposite direction, I'm still going to take their back. So it just kind of depends on how you pick that position, right? So for me, that's a very strong funnel, right? But depending on the context, the person on bottom happens a little time like, well, I don't need a hip escape. I'm not too worried about being in side control. Cool. No problem. They'd closed off that threat. And then I immediately go hip check and rip their arm off the Kimura. And they're like, oh man, like I wasn't really worried. And I go, that's why you're probably not that good at jujitsu. Right? So I'm always delivering a minimum of two threats. I do that with my guard. I do that with my top position. I do that while I'm already in dominant position. So I'm always delivering like an advancement of position as a threat with also either another advancement position or with a submission. And I'm bringing people right to that door. And I say, if you do nothing, you're dead. If you do something, you're dead. If you do something correctly, as intelligently as possible, you're just going to die in the next step. And depending on the level of the person, they usually always pick one of the three and then that's usually how it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other benefit too, to funneling is you're trying to take the other person into the specific situation where you're really comfortable and you're really well-trained, but they aren't necessarily as fluent at that position as you. So, I mean, an example would be if you are amazing at passing people from headquarters you might constantly be trying to navigate their guard into the position where you're in headquarters on top. I do this a lot because I'm very comfortable passing from there, um, and I'm pretty good at defending De La Riva, so I will always be trying to step over, get one leg in, one leg out, so that I can go into that passing position that I'm fluent in. It's going to vary depending on the person, though, and I think for everyone— it behooves them to spend some time thinking about what are my funnel points? Like, what are the decision points that I'm really good at, where I know I've got a lot of winning options, and how can I steer my opponent there? What kind of techniques and tactics can I use to always get back to that position? Because I'm advantaged there. And so I always want to try to move there if I can.
1: No, 100%. And I think that's, that's perfect, right? So that clarity, again, and which is great to have that is like, hey, I really have a lot of dictation when I get here, right? I like that. I like that security. I like that, that ability to predict the future, right? Time travel, right? So I have a a higher percentage of success when we're here, they have a lower percentage of success when they're here, right? So that's all you're doing, right? And that's what that funnel is, right? It's very easy to get caught in traps sometimes, right? So um, you hear people, like I would hear competitors, right? Being like, hey, like I'm not worried about fighting the meows. Like, you know, like I know they're going to bear and bolo so I can stop it. But that's at a lower level of thinking. What they're not acknowledging, which is why it never works, is the fact that there's no way that you have wrecked stopping the bear and bolo successfully as many times as they've successfully gotten the bear and bolo. So if your aspect of trying to win is going into someone's game and letting them have tempo and then trying to stop them, the percentage is incredibly low. And that's why you see so many people just completely disagree with like some type of meta aspect of of jujitsu, right? So if you can see that, like, I mean, yeah, that's like a really lot of clarity on tempo, right? And then they put you in your funnel and you can just stay in that aspect, right? Sometimes what gets a little scary is that when someone ignorantly or confidently doesn't understand tempo and both people are comfortable in the same exact position, that that's why I tell people, if you didn't dictate this, if you didn't dictate the grips and the angle, this could be a trap and you should be really careful, right? Because I have a lot of students that are, are very comfortable playing Delhiba, just as many as people people comfortable passing Dele So my job is to make sure that both of those people know, hey, if you didn't create this though, you should already know you should be being defensive, right? And if we don't deliver that understanding of tempo, Usually what happens is like huge scrap and then there's going to be a lot of miscommunication internally with ourselves, a lot of bad adjustments with ourselves because there's not enough clarity on who created the position. Why is it not working? Why can't I hit this technique from Dele Hiba Well, you don't have tempo. Well, I love passing from Dele Wait, well, Yeah, but who picked the position? Who dictated it? Well, he pulled guard. He has all the grips and he tilted me. Well, you already know that you don't
0: like the from being tilted. What are you trying to do? right? So those indicators are there. Absolutely. And that takes a long time, I think, for people to get their head around the idea that a position isn't necessarily advantageous or disadvantageous to you. It depends on who's got the comfort factor there. If the other person is way better repped at that position, if they're a specialist and you kind of suck at it, then maybe you don't want to be there. But on the other hand, if you are the one who has drilled that position a hundred times, then maybe it makes sense for you to go there. But, you know, there's some people that I would never want to have headquarters on me because I know they're going to kick my ass with Delahiva or something else. But there's a lot of people where I might feel comfortable with that. And learning to have that comfort intuition where you know you're in a good position is so key.
1: I couldn't agree more, you know, and it's really, really important to be able to make that identification because if you're part of your goal's is to have consistency you know that clarification is is going to be crucial right because otherwise it's like hey i don't get it i trained with eight people tonight and uh half of them when i was in headquarters you know played delhi even swept me the other half i passed i don't understand well it's like well again like hey that comfort can be scary and that's what you usually see at lower belts like white belts versus blue belts or blue belts versus whatever it may be they're both comfortable at the same time because they're trying to just do a technique that they know from that position they don't have the dictation of tempo Uh, understanding of neutralization understanding of like pace or anything like that so they're just like oh hey so they can't identify why something worked why something didn't work what they did wrong what they did right you know so i think it's crucial throughout all the belt ranks to just stay in that conceptual area because you'll avoid a lot of you know internal frustration by having that clarity you know i mean you'll still be like oh shit like I literally know that I can't do anything from this position and I'm getting smashed all the time, but at least I know
0: why. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming by, Christian. Any closing thoughts? I mean, this is a, a great chat, I think, about tempo, about climbing the ladder. Was there anything that we wanted to add on to this conversation that we didn't cover already?
1: I think jujitsu is just a an Alice Wonderland like deep diving hole, you know. And I think it's important to just realize, like, you know, there there is no right or wrong. I would like stay away from that. So like white belts to black belts competitors, hobbies, whatever it may be. I think it's just really important to focus on, you know, if something works, if something doesn't work, why and have that clarity, you know, and I think it's important to be authentic with ourselves, you know, not pull, you know, wool over under under our own eyes and be like, well, I hit the sweep all the time, but it's on lower belts or something, you know, so I can only as someone a part of the jiu-jitsu community hope that we just, you know, increase our quality by increasing our standards with ourselves and keeping ourselves more accountable for having higher quality jiu-jitsu so we can increase it across the board but i mean other than that i think it's yeah i think it's cool you know i think just stay on the path that you're staying and you know if uh, anything pops up if anybody has any questions in terms of what we talked about or something else feel free to reach out to me but um Yeah, I mean, I think that covers like what we wanted to talk about, so uh, it was really cool.
0: Amazing, man. Well, thanks for coming by. Uh, On that note, if people do want to reach out to you, contact you, learn from you, support you, how do they go about doing that? I was off social media for a while, but
1: I just kind of back on. So I've been primarily focusing social media-wise, like using my Instagram and it's basically for my online learning platform. So like if you were to search my name, Christian Woodman C, it would pop up. It'll say Logic BGJ online. I post reels there. I'll post some photos there, but I primarily only use that to basically talk about my membership website. So that's my main focus where I'm doing now. But if anybody's ever in Philly and they want to come train, you're more than welcome to. I teach something like 40 seminars a year if anybody wants to attend one of those seminars. But um, yeah, any questions you have, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, via through Instagram. If you want to join the website, you can talk to me there. Feel free to reach out in any shape, way, or form. Uh, I'm here to answer any questions or help out any way that I can.
0: Awesome. Maybe tell me a little bit about the membership website. What's it about? What makes it unique? And what can people expect there?
1: So basically right now, what I've seen, there's a lot of online learning and there's just so much information that's on the internet that it's really... Challenging to create something that is truly helpful to the community. So, like, I understood that I could just upload a bunch of content to YouTube and that would help, right? But I thought that what was more important is to understand the value of like structure, right? So, I developed my website not only to further help my own students, right? So, if they couldn't come to class consistently, if COVID happened again, wherever it may be, I've had it for a few years now, right? To be able to offer the information that I teach to them, right? So on my website, you'll see structured drilling, you'll see structured sparring, you'll see the elements of techniques, you'll see a lot of concepts, you'll see gi, no gi, whatever it may be, a lot of different focuses. I use that a lot because I travel so much to teach that a lot of people like, hey, well, how can I continue to learn from you? And I go, well, feel free to join the website, right? So the website was created to help others out that wanted to learn uh, more in depth, people that are more committed, that want to make more of an investment into themselves, you know, like an extra level of commitment, but it's Obviously increasing discipline. And yeah, so it's doing well. It's got, you know, a thousand something members and people are really happy with it. I upload to it constantly, once a week with new content. And there's plenty of stuff that's always going out. So yeah, if anybody wants to join, feel free to. Uh, there's a seven-day free trial. But other than that, it's just a it's just a continuous look into what I do and how I teach it logic. And that's basically all it is.
0: As I always do, I will put those links in the show notes. So if this conversation resonated with you and you want to follow Christian or check out his website and his his membership stuff, all of the links will be there. That way you don't have to remember them. If you're like me, that's always a struggle. So just open your podcast player, go to info, notes, description, whatever it's called, and I'll make sure there's some links there. I'll also include a link to all of our stuff. BJJ mental models.com is where everything lives. If you're listening to this, I presume you're familiar with the podcast, but if you're new, there's over 250 episodes at this point. They're all intended to be timeless uh, capsule lessons that hopefully will be helpful. So all of that's there. It's all free. There's also our newsletter, which is amazing. I definitely recommend everyone sign up to that if you haven't already. We send out thought pieces every week, plus show notes on the show and other deals and offers and freebies that we sometimes offer. Again, that's also on the website. That's also where you can check out our premium service if you want to go to the next level with us, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com to learn more about our premium. Premium means you're basically going to get, I always used to say three things, but it's expanding a lot. Um, First of all, you're going to get access to our audio course library. Very different from what most people do. We just purely focus on strategy, tactics, mindset, confidence, that kind of thing. Um, We're actually just in the process right now, I mentioned this earlier, of launching an awesome new course on jujitsu for smaller people. Uh, It's not a technical course. It's purely talks about Strategy, concepts, and ways of thinking when you're giving up a massive weight disadvantage. So, I definitely recommend checking that out. You also get access to our coaching team. We literally have some of the best black belts in the world on there, ready to review your rolling footage. It's one of the best ways that you can just quickly supercharge your game and get an extra perspective on your grappling. That's all included. There's also our community. We're continuing to launch more premium podcasts as well. So a lot of reasons why you might want to check that out. But anyway, all of that's at BJJMentalModels.com. I'll put that link in the show notes as well as all of Christian's stuff. But Christian, man, thanks so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. It was good to finally connect, and I really thought this was an awesome chat. Some great insights on ladder, on tempo. Really appreciate you coming by.
1: No, I appreciate you having me. I'm really excited um, to obviously hear how everybody likes it. I appreciate you guys having me. Let me know if you need any help with anything, but I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to sharing it and obviously hoping to talk again sometime in the future. But uh, yeah, thanks for having
0: me and it was a blast. You're most welcome. Sincere thanks for me and thanks to everyone listening as well. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. See you soon.